Hi, everyone. My name is Mark Graham, and welcome to SkewCast, the podcast that explores the who, what, why, and how of the promotional products industry. SkewCast shines a light on our industry's best work, features maverick personalities, and discusses what's really involved in running a modern promotional products business. SkewCast is the official podcast of Common Skew. If you like what you hear, make sure to keep in touch by subscribing to the show on iTunes or at our blog, community.commonskew.com. And with that, let's get to it. In today's episode, we are going to take a deep dive into the world of marketing and more specifically, how to incorporate the art and science of marketing into your business mix. The most successful distributors today are those that understand that marketing deserves an equal spot alongside sales. After all, good marketing often separates the winners from the losers in the rapidly evolving and hyper-competitive promotional products industry. This is a special two-part series focused on how to do marketing right. The first episode explores marketing from a distributor perspective. Our second episode to follow We'll explore how suppliers are implementing marketing effectively. In this discussion, we speak with Sam Brown about why marketing matters more than ever today for the modern distributor. Sam has tremendous street cred in the world of marketing. Sam got her start in the industry as a distributor owner of Silver Star, a successful Canadian distributor. In 2015, she successfully sold the business, commanding a premium that she attributes directly to her investments in marketing. In 2016, she joined Brandvia, one of the largest and most successful distributors, to become their marketing director. Today, Sam is in charge of telling Brandvia's story, enabling salespeople to sell even more, and to continue to differentiate from the myriad competitors in the market. And with that, Let's get started with my conversation with Sam. So, Sam, I'm really curious about this, uh, about the fact that um, we are in the marketing business. So you think about distributors. Distributors are in the marketing business, yet not many distributors are terribly good at marketing themselves. Why is that, in your opinion? (laughs) I think that's age old, Mark, the cobbler who had no shoes. (laughs) <laughs> that's right? true. Yep, that's true. We spend all this time focused on, you know, and in our case, every project is a whole new, um, a whole new silo, if I might. You know, I might mm. be marketing um, uh, the, the Olympics in, in one project, and then five minutes later, I have to turn my attention to um, an equestrian event in Rio. Or two minutes later, it's a plumbing shop that's looking to help me go to every door in a thousand mm. houses. Right. And so if we're going from from one extreme to the other, unless we actually segment time or block time, as you know, we talk about as entrepreneurs, then when are you going to find time to, you know, file your nails or have a shower, which to me is the same as, you know, putting together your own marketing plan. But I'm wondering whether we do that at our peril. Right. Like the fact that you talk about the cobbler, cobbler sons, the cobbler shoes. Um, I mean, I, I get that. But I think that what what you see in this industry is that 
there are lots and lots of people who don't really invest in marketing. They don't really understand the process. They sell to anyone and everyone. But then it's the few people who do work on their brand, do work on their competitive advantage, do work on their 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 voice as a brand. Those are the that 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 uh, that limited subsection of the market. Those are the ones that are really leading the market because the end customer can see them as truly unique, as opposed to just people who sell the same stuff from a standardized supplier catalog. Yeah, and, and I wholeheartedly agree. And and you'll see that even in some of the larger organizations, like the, the, the larger brand names that may not stand for anything from an outsider's perspective. You know, so they have a brand name, but really, you know, Joe Schmo off the street doesn't know what they are versus the next big brand competitor. But then you right. see individual reps within that company that do fantastic jobs at marketing themselves as individual salespeople within the organization because they take the time to to carve out that persona or voice or image that they as an individual need to have. I'm just curious about this idea of of, of companies that go from having no marketing in-house to having marketing in-house. Um, is, that, is that something you can talk about in terms of what it is that you walked into? I mean, for context, uh, Brandvia is a highly successful top 40 company, has done a lot of things extremely well over the years. Um, but if they were not investing in marketing before, what, what were you walking into and what challenge were you looking to solve? Hmm. So um, I relocated to San Jose um, last year. Right. Having just sold my distributorship and I really didn't know what I wanted to do when I grew up, I'll call it. Um, I know I I love this industry because uh, hopefully you can tell I'm passionate about this idea of actually bringing marketing back to what we do. And I I think this idea of of swag and and actually our product having the persona that reflects the companies that we're doing it for is key to what we do. And so um, I I was kind of, you know, I I went to a few networking events here in in the Bay Area trying to figure out who was who and what was what. And I started asking around at those um, association events, you know, tell me about the, you know, who are the big players here in this pond? Um, Who are the people that are good people, which is important to me? And it didn't take long for me to uh, connect with the right people who quickly, uh, you know, mentioned Brandvia name a couple of times. You know, oh, Brandvia is the people that you want to work with, blah, 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 blah. So I know I, I, of course, having nerves of steel, reached out to them directly and said, hey, I'm new in the industry or new in the industry, new in the market, um, you know, just moved down here from this. This is my story. I would really like to, you know, help your organization move to the next level if you'll have me. And so we had a couple of meetings and they said, we don't know what to do with you. Um, you've got some great marketing experience. Um, you could do a couple of other positions here at the firm, given, you know, you've been an entrepreneur for your own organization before. And so we kind of agreed that I would come on for three months and kind of see where I fit. So flash forward three months later, we looked around and we realized that the best thing I could do is, is help them kind of um, pull their brand together and really kind of maybe re-release it to the market. Um, they'll right. tell you that they've been operating in uh, stealth mode until I came along and uh, they've done amazingly well at it. They've had huge success over the last two years. Um, uh, they've been a you know best employer since 2008, year after year. So it's not like I had a, you know, I, I wasn't putting lipstick on a pig. I already had this amazing organization. It was just hiding under a blanket. Right. Um, so it was really getting a feel for you know, what I could do for them. And so when we looked around, we thought, okay, well, 
I took stock. And this is, I think, what a lot of people would do if they were kind of looking around the organization saying, how do we now go to market if we've never officially come up with a marketing plan? Did you kind of look around the room and it helps to have, you know, a fresh perspective and say, okay, so what are we really good at? You know, what are we not so good at that maybe we should work on if that's important in our go-to-market? So in our case, you know, we're actually, our product innovation is, is a market that we, we, we dominate. We don't tell anybody about it, but we are telling people about it now. And we actually incubate new products to the market, which I haven't seen a lot of our competitors do, where right. they actually go out, find inventors, and bring new products to the market for our clients. Right. Very That's cool. really important here in Silicon Valley, where we are known to be inventors. Right. Right. So if we're not bringing new products to the market, and I don't mean, you know, so-and-so has announced this is a new product that, you know, large multinational is bringing out to the entire industry. I mean, we actually, you know, go to someone who's been on Shark Tank and say, we would love to bring this to our market. Right. So we're really dominating that product innovation space. This idea of they were operating in stealth mode, they were, they were doing a whole bunch of things right, but they didn't bother really telling telling anyone about it. You know, they right. they had they had a website. Um, which depending on uh, when you're listening to this podcast will be either brand new or the old one. So good luck with that. Right. I know you're right. going to know the when you Google it. Um, you know, they had a website, they had social media presence, but it wasn't necessarily reflecting their true persona, right? And persona right. is that vibe I think a company has. And, and I'm always trying to figure out what our client's persona is so I can replicate that in the swag that we sell them and the messaging yep. we put on it. Yep. But like, you know, again, the cobbler idea, Brandia had really never taken the time to adequately do that. We had some promotional swag, of course. We've got closets of swag like every other promotional company that we had, you know, quickly produced, thrown a logo on it and given it out to people at various events or mailed it to people for various purposes. And we probably had only 15% of that swag is stuff that I would consider cool swag. I mean, carries a message, drives an action, converts people to start thinking about you differently than they saw than they saw you before. Right. Um, and so, you know, since I've been there, so it's been uh, only a few months at this point, and now we're really clear into, um, you know, we we're the site is in development currently, so almost ready to launch. Our social media has done a 180. Um, and so we had presence and I would say it was sleeping at the wheel. And now we've really engaged with our audience. We're running contests on our social media. We're giving away swag. We're asking people to tell us about the swag and how they're using it. Um, we're showing off our global uh, reach. We do, uh, we support about 22 um, global events every year. So, we, you know, we travel to Barcelona with clients. We do pop-up shops. We have retail stores. And so we're really showcasing that through our social media. But talking yep. about it as well, we have an in-house event every year We've uh, where we show off our favorite products that come off the Vegas show floor. We physically yep. bring them in. We host clients. We walk them through it. We tell them the story. You know, of course, we have some follow-ups. We have some emails that go out around it, after it, before it. Right. Um, we've had an anniversary party, so we, of course, celebrated. There's lots of things we do, but we're now we're really – it's an outreach option for stuff we were already doing. Right, right. Um, I, I'm curious if you could tell me what percentage of marketing is art versus science. Uh, um, because I had seen this question in your lead up and introduction. Yeah. Um, I'm going to say it's a 50% split. Um, you know, the, the reason that um, Brandia looks at me as such an asset is because I have 
so many years of experience in our industry that I can quickly formulate a strategy when something comes along because I know our market. Um, you know, I know what our buyers look like. I know what my competitors look like. And I know what our suppliers can provide or can't provide and what's typically done at annual events and things like that. So to me, that's the science part of it is that experience, the numbers, knowing kind of, you know, the, the margins, how salespeople react. So having all of that, to me, that's the, the science part of the marketing is you have to know your market inside out. The other half then is, of course, is the creative piece of how do you get their attention, whether it's on social media, um, you know, how do you engage when there's so many million messages every day on Facebook? How do you make your videos more engaging? How, how do you engage with your staff? Because more so than ever, marketing now penetrates that culture piece internally. And right. um, I, I, I think a lot of companies miss that. They, they don't realize that culture is marketing and marketing is culture. Um, right. And so really, I would say it's a 50-50 split. And, and if I can, knowing how many hours I work, um, there, there's also another component that's neither art nor science, but education or learning. Is yeah. it because the marketing industry is changing constantly that, right. you know, with new technologies, there's new ways to go about it. Every time Google launches something new, I have to spend hours trying to figure out how to understand it. And then, of course, how to be better than everyone else who's just figured out how to understand it. You know, right. when YouTube launches something, a new feature, I have to figure out how are we going to leverage that or are we going to leverage it? You know, with every right. new trend, do you get on the trend or is it a fad, right? And, right. and the, a good example of that was, you know, the Pokemon Go. I had someone reach out to me and say, how can we leverage Pokemon Go for the, for the organization or for our clients, right? right? Because right. I, I'm in marketing. Often the salespeople come to me and say, hey, you know, this certain client wants to leverage Pokemon. Have you got any ideas for them in particular? Right. So I'm not just doing our corporate marketing, but I'm also helping our clients market themselves sometimes. Right. Right. And so yeah. you have to be able to to know enough about the market to be able to say, you know what, Pokemon Go, as much as it's a, a big thing it is right now, I don't think it's a trend. I think it's a fad. Fad being right. it eventually will fade. Right. Um, like some of the social media platforms that have come and gone already versus trends like Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, which are still here today. Right. Right. So from a, I, I want to ask you a question from a marketing perspective. So um, in full disclosure, one of the we first met when you were evaluating the common skew platform some time ago. And yep. I'm curious as to what business challenge or marketing challenge, given that's the role that you play, that you were facing at the time that led you to go to market to consider a software solution. Ah, okay. Well, that that could take <laughs> easy. So that's like the branding 101 is you want everything your company does to look and feel consistent. So the client gets that same experience, no matter who or how they deal with the organization. Right. Um, and that's that idea of the, the customer experience or user experience or CX. So to Google it, you'll find it on every homepage. And it's the, you know, the lead article in Flipboard these days on every day. But this customer experience piece and, and what we had at Brandvia was we were kind of, uh, we're about 60 people in the outward sales force. So whether they're assistants or salespeople and they are reaching out to clients, providing them with different quotes, estimates. They would, some would use words, some would use um, PowerPoint, some would use, I'm trying to think of Excel was still being used. We had people all over the board. Uh, some are using ESP or ASI and, and it, it was just a, humdrum of stuff and none of it was sexy or innovative and we are a very innovative 
um, very technology-driven company, but we had never taken a look at, you know, again, this cobbler piece. Internal systems, we'd never bothered to turn and look at see how we could make that better. Right. And so uh, early on when I came on board, we kind of looked around and I thought, I can't believe we're still using this archaic, you know, Excel spreadsheet where we're copying, pasting images into them and then recreating quotes every time I need to quote, you know, the same sweatshirt, which is my favorite sweatshirt to sell. I have to go back, find my net cost, mark it up. I have to figure out what colors it comes in, what sizes it comes in. And I, manually, all that work was being done. And uh, it was just a, a little bit of ridiculous, if you might imagine. And so yes. we had to go to to out out to out to market to find out who had solutions. And of course, you know, ASI has their their solution, which not to offend, looks a little dated from an experience perspective. And we really wanted something sexy and innovative that goes with our brand. So um, Common Skew was um, for me a no-brainer. And um, in fact, um, I'll say sheepishly, we bought Common Skew for only the first 10% of it at first. Right. right? We, we just wanted it for the sexy presentations and the fact that it plugged into the, the bigger database so we didn't have to do the maintenance. And, um, you know, we, we started it with a small test group and they thought it was brilliant. And then, you know, change is hard for everybody. So not everybody wanted to adopt it at first. And I think now we're four months in and I, I don't know, we're something at like 95% adoption rate. So it's just ridiculous now. You know, the Chinese water torture has paid off and everybody's drinking with Kool-Aid. <laughs> well, it, it's great to know that 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 it's been a, a good experience. But I, I think what's interesting to me, and thank you for for the nice comments about the platform. I think that from a bigger picture perspective, I think what's interesting is how marketing is not just. Um, you know, creating a, a persona for the company or creating branding for the company or understanding your customer segment. But it's also interesting as to how it's now uh, getting into the world of software, getting into the world of customer experience and how uh, applications like CommonSkew, and of course, there are several others that are out there, um, are now players that really drive marketing results as opposed to just sales results. So that that's that's interesting to get your perspective as a marketing professional. So thank you for that. Um, I, I'm 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 want to shift gears to the small distributor. Okay, so it, it's great, Sam, that you have experience with a large top forty distributor with um, lots of people, presumably decent resources to invest in something like marketing. But let, let's take it down to the to, to the the the, um, the smaller distributor. Let's say one or two people. They don't have the money to invest in a full-time marketing person. Um, what advice would you have to the smaller distributor that is, let's say doing a million dollars worth of sales, uh, maybe $2 million, maybe, maybe 750,000 that wants to step up their game from a marketing perspective. So I can identify with that person, Mark, because when I started my distributorship, we really, you know, I think there were days where we were half a person and I was that half person. And and really, you know, when it came down to it, you, you stripped it down and, and I talk about this bootstrap marketing approach is that, you know, I didn't have a whole lot of money for advertising. I didn't have a whole lot of money for swag even. You know, I had some promo bucks I could exchange and, and, and I, you know, I kind of, you know, work with what I had. Um, but really, in, in our case, the, the go-to-market that, that we chose to, to adopt was really customer intimacy was our, our innovative, our, our, our approach. And so we really got clear on our persona, as you talked about, you know, identifying our persona. 
seeing, you know, assuming that fit with the customers. And at that point, when you're adopting a persona, and this kind of goes back to that idea of, you know, for the first five years as a small company, I spent time trying to look like everybody else. And the day that switch flipped, the next day I realized I can't look like everybody else if I want to sell to more than the average person, right? The average number of people. If I want to land flat of clients, I have to stand out so people will see the mountain across the valley and come and talk to us. And so, you know, giving them something to stand for or giving them something to attracting them with something that was different than what everyone else was saying was key to that. And so it didn't take a whole lot to do that. Um, we, we rebranded. And when I say that, I mean, we changed our logo means me and, you know, back then illustrator designed it and I used colors that weren't normal. My logo was hot pink and black, you know, not, not normal, but we were all women at one point. So that worked well. Um, and, and we used the term swag. So no one else was using that. So it kind of people would look at you and cock their heads sideways swag. Oh, I wasn't saying promotional products. I wasn't saying promotional marketing. So I, I already gave them something to differentiate us from everybody else. But then right. I go to market was very easy. I was a, you know, two, three man shop at one point. It all revolved around me. It was about building those personal relationships. So I went to a lot of networking events. I bartered, you know, speaking slots in order for promotional products. And then I would use my, say, lead dollars or whomever dollars in order to buy the swag that I was giving to the company. You know, I just moved the money around. And, you know, a lot of it was my time and effort. But one, I had to give them, like I said, something to to see that looked different from everybody else. And then, you know, I had to give them, in my case, that personal experience that I would show up and I would talk about what we believed in. And my staff, you know, as they came on board, I would train them to believe in the same things I believed in so that they had that consistent consistent customer experience. So whether they dealt with Sam, whether they dealt with Jen, or whether they dealt with Sienna or Karen or whomever down the pipe, they all got the same bold, opinionated perspective on what we think they should and shouldn't spend their money on. And and that really is what took people, is what took the business to market and what made it, like I said, saleable at the end of the day. So this idea right. of it doesn't take, you know, in our case, we, we lined everything around the customer experience. We wanted to make sure that it was consistent and that it was in line with that persona we were projecting. We were right. opinionated. We didn't want you to waste your money. We said that all the time. It was common in the office. People would call us up and say, I want the latest whirly gig. And we would say, really? You want the whirly gig? I don't think it really represents what you're trying to say. You know, what about something like this? What are you trying to accomplish? And so we gave them that same right. experience. You know, having letterheads, newsletters. We rarely wrote newsletters. In fact, I got to the point where it was so much easier just to shoot a quick minute and a half video on my phone and post it to YouTube and have that head up on my channel on my, my website. Right. Right. And so right. every week I shot a minute and a half video. It was ad lib. That was okay because it fit with our corporate persona. But people saw me speak to them every week. We could email it out to those people using something cheap like MailChimp, which is free for most. But it's that consistency, right? We delivered customer intimacy consistently. Yeah, I like that. Delivering customer intimacy consistently. There you go. That's like very tweetable. <laughs> um, well, and, and not everybody will be about customer intimacy, right? Some people yeah. will be about the fact that they make really cool products because their art is fantastic. Yeah. Other people will be about, you know, we can deliver, you know, our, our their systems are so smooth that they, like if they're using common view, great way to go about that, right? Is that, you know, they can get their quotes out faster. They can have them consistently look. They can even mock them up using, you know, the plugin for, for mock-ups. So yeah. in their case, maybe it's just this idea of process. But yeah. 
it standing for something and then not being afraid to stand for it. And that's yeah. sort of, that was the last thing I wanted to say was if you, if you can't make everybody happy, right? So we knew when we were being opinionated that some people wouldn't be attracted to us, but we were okay with that because the people that yep. were attracted to us were solid. Yep. Yep. No, I think that that's such an important point that the, that this idea of standing for something, having an opinion and also understanding who that customer is, is so important. I mean, you were saying earlier on in the podcast that one of the challenges for the typical distributor is the switching between uh, the equestrian event at the Olympics to dealing with a plumber down the street to then going and doing an order for Google, right? And whether that's Brandvia or another distributor, it doesn't matter. And mm-hmm. I think was, when you were saying that, I was thinking to myself, well, that does not sound like a distributor <laughs> using this fictitious example. Um, it doesn't sound right. like a distributor who has got a, an extremely sharp focus on his or her customer <laughs> when they're switching that much. But um, I, I, I think I think at the end of the day, that's really the magic of marketing. And I, I think that it's not something that is necessarily driven out of a textbook, but it's this consistent uh, communication with your customer, standing for something that matters, and constantly driving at that point of differentiation. Um, one of the biggest challenges that we have in this industry, whether you're a distributor or a supplier, is that you're selling someone else's product. And at the end of the day, can you really be the best person selling a Leeds mug? Well, I don't even know what that means, right? Like, how can you be the best person selling a Leeds mug? Well, I, I don't know that that exists. But mm-hmm. you can certainly be the best person that delivers X, Y, or Z to a particular customer segment at a you know particular time of the year or something. And I think that is what the best distributors and, and also the best suppliers do is is really focus on that where you can't beat them. There's no competition because they're not focusing on the product. They're focusing on something much bigger than that. Ideally. And yeah, to, to respond to what you said, I, I when you talked about the, someone who's switching from one extreme to the other, it just represents the idea of, you know, some people will segment their target markets by industry. Some will segregate them by geography. And in our case, we segregated them by our demographic of our customer. We went after people whose personalities resonated with what we spoke to. And so I think that's what, and, and, uh, but that, that, that's, again, that's a traditional, not to insult, that's a traditional approach to marketing is, okay, we're going to go after all the law firms this week because we did law firm pens yesterday. So we can do law firm pens all day long. And unfortunately, you're, you're right. And all they're going to get is, uh, you know, similar pens with their logo slapped on it that either says, you know, barristers and solicitors or LLP, depending on where you live. But um, none of them are really going to be, in my case, a true marketing piece unless you stop to think about these people aren't lawyers. There's something unique about this business that happen to be lawyers and their clients come to them because of X. And I have to admit that more than 50% of the customers I sat with over my years didn't know their unique selling proposition. They didn't know what made them better than the lawyer next door. Right. And, and, and honestly, when I, when I, when I've worked with different firms, whether it's Brandvia or other large firms I've worked with over my years here, a lot of the executives don't know either, right? They, they yeah. knew what it was when they started, but as they get bigger and they grow larger and they have different set of problems and different sets of customers, they don't remember or they don't know what the new form of them stands for anymore. And so it right. does, it takes that concerted effort to 
chalk the time, block it out and say, okay, what are we about and what do we stand for? And that's that idea of and it's this passion and purpose. If you can yep. find your passion and your purpose, which goes back to what we've been talking about this, what do you stand for? What is your why and why should people care? You know, Simon yep. Sinek is my favorite reference for this. I'm a huge fan of his and I've referenced the stuff and talks I've done before. And, and he gives a great example of Apple, uh, you know, with Steve Jobs and this idea of what they stand for. And I encourage you to, to Google that on YouTube. It's a great, you know, minute and a half segment where he talks about people will buy anything from you if you can motivate them to give a shit about you. He's my yeah. French. Yeah. If you can motivate them to care, they, they will buy anything from you because they're involved with you as a human. And I think that's yes. what a lot of people have forgotten is that we're selling to humans. And my husband commented the other day about that. He said, a lot of people think they're B2B or B2C. He goes, you've forgotten all of that because you know you're selling to humans. Whether they yeah. happen to be sitting in a law office or they happen to be at a plumbing service, we're selling to the person who has a problem and we're trying to demonstrate we're the most capable to solve it. Yep. And how do yep. we do that? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, I want to I want to switch gears and I want to ask you this hypothetical question. So you're the head of marketing for a supplier now. Okay, you're not you're not on the distributor side. How would you approach your role differently, or would you? No, I wouldn't approach it differently. And I'm speaking as I talk, so I might get myself in trouble. You know, over the years, I've spent lots of time sitting with our different multi line reps and our different suppliers at Vegas, et cetera, Toronto. I think that same consistent approach would serve them. Like my multi-lines that I had over the years, I always had great relationships with the ones that I put money in their pocket. And I'm, I imagine it's the same for most people listening to this podcast, is that the people that we have good relationships with are the people we go back to because we know when we're in a pinch, they're going to answer their phone. We know it late at night, they might respond because we have an existing relationship. And the same goes for my suppliers. Like I had a fantastic relationship when I was up in Canada with Stan Gallen at Debco. And, you know, if something was really needed right away, I could get Stan on his cell phone and he would answer. And when I yeah. ran into him in Toronto, Vegas, you know, we would stop and chat and talk about his family and his wife. And, you know, we would have a relationship. And so I, I imagine if I called him right now, he would still answer and it's been a couple of years. But those are the people you go to bat for consistently because, again, we're human. And so, you know, if I'm sitting here as a marketing director for supplier X and say I'm starting with no market penetration, I'm brand new and I'm bringing the widget of next month to the market. You know, it's it's being visible at those events. And I don't think you have to, you know, be the, the platinum sponsor to be visible. But, you know, as a salesperson going out, reaching out to the people in the committees to talk to those people so that at Vegas, you're somewhat visible, whether it's your brand or just you as a person. Because if you as a person that's going to make those relationships, if you just slap your logo up, but don't show up at the events, it's really worth zero. Right. Like you have to physically show up as an individual, not just in brand. Yeah. And then reaching out consistently, right? Whether it's by email, and I don't mean spam. We all know what spam looks like these days. You know, I, I know when Brittany... Um, emails me personally rather than when she sends me a spam that was generated by someone else and she doesn't even realize she sent it. Yes. So automated marketing has its use, but let's be honest about automated marketing. Like, you know, if, if Mark from Common Skew sends me an email, I can tell whether it's Mark from Common Skew or it's Mark from Common Skew. And, and so I think we could probably just stop with that spam. Like, yes, let's use automated marketing, but let's use it like it's marketing. Let's not pretend it might be a personal message. And I think that'll go a long way. You know, reach out to us on a regular basis. Share with us information that we care about. You know, what a new supplier is bringing. Why do I as a distributor care about what you're bringing to me? You know, every once in a while, call me. 
or send me an email that's actually personalized. And then, you know, in Vegas, make an effort to, to stop by and, and, and see me. Um, but don't expect me to give you too much time as a distributor. And uh, as a supplier, please don't come in every quarter just because you've booked it and show me the same stuff you showed me last month. Right. And I realize I've just said that as a distributor point of view, but I think I'm actually answering your question from a different perspective. Yeah. Um, well, and- I love it when the multi lines come in. I just don't like them to show me the same stuff they showed me last month. And if they and and there's a there was a great rep that used to show me this stuff, um, but he'd tell me it in a case history. I think you probably know who it was. Um, but he would come across to the tabletop shows and he would show you like you know unpack his Mary Poppins bag and be like, this product was used this way. So it wasn't about yeah we have this product and it's you know a thousand mah and it it also has a really cool graphic on it. It was about, you know, I saw the Nurses Association did this with it, and that was a really neat way of adopting, you know, adapting this to that purpose. Yep. And that kind of supplier case histories, those to me were golden, right? Right, right. I can only sell so many power banks. Yeah. Well, and, and you see, at the end of the day, um, I, I do think there are fundamental differences between a supplier and a distributor, but, at the, but ultimately, um, this idea of customer experience, of selling to human beings, of Storytelling. My good friend Bobby Lee Hugh talks a lot about the uh, storytelling and its role in sales and marketing. Um, that applies just the same. You think about someone at Brandvia or any other distributor that's out there that's going to go and pitch a major customer or even a smaller customer. If you're going to go in and yep. dump a bunch of product on the table and say, hey, pick which one you want. The, the outcome is likely going to be very different than if you engage that customer, whether they're an end client uh, or a distributor, um, if you engage them with some fascinating story that talks about how this particular product was connected to a business and marketing challenge and how there was this ROI and this emotional connection with the customer, then you've got my attention. Um, you may still have my attention if you throw a bunch of product on the table, but my, my outlook and my relationship with you as a salesperson is going to be fundamentally different. Um, in one case, I buy in a transaction, I may grind you on price. The other one, I'm going to say, um, uh, like, where do I sign? <laughs> no, no. And I, I completely agree. And I, I think that that idea of, you know, you can translate that same idea. Suppliers can come in and dump it all on the table and say, pick which one you like, and take it back to this idea of, you know, the average person in the industry and, and, um, and how we're hurting ourselves as an average industry is that I think a lot of our salespeople do that as distributors. You know, they fill yeah. their go bag with the stuff they go to a client's office because they manage to get 15 minutes after, you know, pesking them for, I don't know, six phone calls and 10 million emails. They dump it all on the desk and say, hey, pick which one you like. Yeah. And that, you know, I, it was uh, David Blaze who said this, and I, I've always loved it, and that's a good decade old now. This idea of, you know, there's if you go to the doctor, you don't look at the medical encyclopedia and say, I want this drug. You go to the doctor for advice guidance, experience, right? He looks yeah. at the problems, the diagnosis, the symptoms, and he says, you know what? This is what you need. And that's yeah. what we need to be. That's what we as professionals need to be. And, you know, I've, I've taken all the accreditation I can get as in, in our promotional products associations, both sides of the border. And I still don't think that qualifies, you know, having the mark of an MAS plus, plus, plus doesn't make any guarantee to our clients that I'm going to look at this from a marketing perspective it just means I'm going to know which logo to put where because I know the size and the imprint method. Yeah. And I, I was, you know, that goes to the future of the industry, but I like the idea of, you know, picking which one you want throwing on the table is an old way of doing it. 
What yeah. we really need to do is, is talk about the why that Simon Sinek talks about or Bobby Lee telling your story because, you know, you and I can tell a story all day long and that'll help us make more friends and influence more people. Um, but if you're just, you know, slapping it on the, the side of the whatever, you're going to get the reaction that you and I would get when someone throws it on the table. Yep. Well, and I think if we if we go back to the early parts of the industry, I think that we come by this challenge we find ourselves in today, quite honestly, you think about it, the early stages of the industry where it was an industry that was really about pushing product and you had salespeople that would blanket the country and would go out with a catalog and and put that catalog in a buyer's hands and that would ultimately act as the advertising of the particular product and the salesperson was there to write the order. Um, and, and, and I think that's a model that worked pretty well for some time. Um, and I, I think we would probably all agree that if you're a salesperson and all you need to do is pick up the phone and write down the order and get a nice commission for it and you don't really have to work too hard, then that most people would probably want to do that um, as compared to figuring out how to tell a story and talk about a case study and put all this extra work in for the order. I mean, <laughs> the latter is a lot yeah. more work than just taking that order. So why would you blame a salesperson for taking that easy order? But the thing is, is that we don't live in that era anymore. People are concerned about the internet. People are concerned about those pesky millennials. People are concerned about suppliers going direct. People are concerned about the economy going soft. All this stuff that's conspiring against the salesperson um, that's looking to just <laughs> take the take the order. I don't think it's conspiring against the salesperson. I think it's conspiring against the old school salesperson. Like if you think of, uh, oh, I can see the scenes in the movie now. Uh, Ra, what is it? Ross. Glenn Gary, Glenn oh. Ross. Thank you. Um, you know, there's, there's traditional themes in there. And I think even in today's day in sales, we still face some of those same scenarios. It's just a method of presentation. You know, the Internet has changed it. It's changed the way we interface with people, right? I, I have a sales team, you know, in all corners of the world, and we do that because of the net. So we're yeah. never going to go back to what we did before. And so, yeah, I think you could say as a sales force, you know, early on in the industry, we got away with murder because we could literally throw a catalog and say, pick which one you want, and I'll tell you how much it's going to cost. But, and and I think we did, like, we did it to ourselves, but I think we did it as a disservice. Um, I, uh, you know, we 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 were, and, and they, we know this as entrepreneurs, salespeople are lazy. We will take the, you know, the, the short path of least resistance to make the most amount of money. We, yep. we know how to do that. And so it is a lot more work to be creative, to bring that agency feel to things. And to the point where, you know, I actually used to bill time just to be more creative, right? So I had a, an, a billing rate um, as well as an actual product rate. In fact, you could just work with my firm to come up with a creative and you could go buy your product for something less someplace else because I yep. didn't negotiate margins. Yeah. But that actually became a whole different business model, right? I would sell a consulting service to come up with cool products that answered your problems and got you business and converted leads. And then you could take my product proposals with art and everything to the companies then who would then RFP it to the, you know, who could drop their pants the furthest down. <laughs> and, yeah, exactly. Well, no, but that's, but we've done that to ourselves as well, right? We, we have chosen at some point or other as salespeople, we've chosen to say, Oh, I can do that too, but I can do it for two pennies less. 
right? right? And where does that stop? And and right. we did that as an, as an industry. We kept competing with ourselves, saying, "Well, I can do it for two sunsets. Well, I can do it for yeah. more. Well, I can, yeah. you know, I I can do it faster." So now we have to deliver it yesterday for zero profit, and it has to be perfect and have you know delivered with a smile and Tinkerbell shoes on, yep. in order just to be normal. Yeah. And so we 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 built this race to the bottom, and now we have yep. to figure out how to rebuild our industry so that we stand for something. If not, yep. you know, for imprint or whomever online is going to beat us. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I've got one more question for you, um, and it's a big picture one, and it's about challenges that you see ahead for our industry, let's say the next five, ten years. And do you think that the marketing discipline plays a role in addressing these challenges? I think that the industry plays a big role in addressing these challenges, and by that I mean the various associations that are out there. Um, you know, I, I've spoken on both sides of the border to different leadership, and, and I, I, I'm not sure that everyone would agree. Uh, I've been to a couple of promo kitchen events, and I've, I've heard, uh, you know, you speak and some others in the industry that talk about the fact that, you know, this, this agency approach um, is something that we need to do to differentiate from everybody else. But as, a, as an industry, we haven't recognized those of us that are agencies versus those of us that are simply selling logoed products. And... I think we have to figure that out. But and even working with, like I said, some of the larger firms in the industry who've been around a long time, and in this case, I'm not talking about brand via, um, you know, they've always done the same thing they've always done, and they've managed to get by. So why are they, you know, so their question is, why should we change? And, and that's an age-old question. People don't like to change, so they're just going to continue to do what they've always done until they get a different result. And, and if you remember what happened to Kodak, um, yeah. They did exactly that, right? Like the dinosaur, and uh, I think we're gonna we're gonna continue to see that. The internet's not going away; it's just bringing us closer and closer and making the things more transparent. You know, I think a lot of people in the industry are worried about um, offshoring when it comes to products and things like Alibaba or whomever else is out there. And if we're not bringing something that those online solutions can't bring, then I don't see how we're gonna differentiate ourselves. And right. the only way to show that differentiation to bring it back to marketing is for someone to be talking about it. And, yep. it. and it doesn't have to be a marketing role in particular, but someone in the company has to keep that as a percentage of their awareness on a regular basis. You know, on a, yep. a weekly, a biweekly, a monthly basis, someone has to kind of set aside a couple hours and say, okay, what are we doing with our outbound messaging to make sure that we're being heard, that we're not lost in the noise, and that our message is clear? Right. Right. Well, I love it. I mean, that's like a great call to arms, right? It brings it back to marketing. And I don't think that marketing is necessarily able to solve all of our industry's potential our challenges down, down the, down the road. But uh, I certainly see it playing a pretty big role. And I think that if more people are invested in it, um, focus on it, embrace it, um, then I'll, I'd be very positive and, and optimistic that this industry will continue to grow and will continue to be relevant as a medium to the end, end client. And for that, I'm super excited. Yeah, and, and I and I I I'm not just hopeful. I'm 100% sure of it. Um, we are still, as we've said so far, we're still people selling and connecting with people. It's that engagement piece that we're that we're trying to do in this industry. Yeah. And you know, we we did it as you said, really really early on in the industry, we were able to do it you know, with the shortest amount of strokes, you know, quick, yeah. we'll slap a logo on it, send it out the door, you know, the calendars, the pens, whatever it was back then, we didn't have to get creative or inventive with it. But now yeah. there's more noise and there's just going to be more and more noise going forward. So if we're not bringing something different to the table, it will get lost. 
But there are firms that will continue to bring new, right? There are firms that will innovate. There are firms that will change new messaging. There are firms that bring new technology to what we're doing. Like just think of, you know, I think BIC brought out some really cool stuff in the last um, 12 months that I, I thought was great and pioneering. And I, I know they haven't sold a whole lot of it, but, you know, this, this, um, I can't even think of the word of it right now. This uh, 3D integrated printing. Fill me in the blanks if you know what I'm talking about. Uh, I don't know what you're talking about, but that's not the first. <gasps> okay. I will have to send you some information on that. But um, I'm trying to think of what it's called. So it's this idea. So now you're going to go to BIC, of course, and Google it. But if when you um, the calendar comes printed, you use an app on your phone. And as you hover over the picture, it actually oh, becomes yeah. a video. Like, yeah, yeah. Uh, augmented reality. Yeah. No, I do know what you're talking you. about now. I don't recall exactly what they call it. But that idea of AR reality. is very cool. There you go. Yeah, so, I, I, you know, I'm sort of with it. No, no. And I've, I, I spoke on it 12 months ago, and now I've forgotten the term. So that tells you how quickly the industry changes. Right. Um, so this idea of augmented reality, like there are firms like, you know, I, and I wish I could, you know, name the ones that are really cutting edge, but I haven't seen anyone in our industry really leading the pack when it comes to, holy crap, they do really cool stuff. Yeah. Right. And a lot of the awards and recognitions that I see on both sides of the border are still the traditional things, the traditional service awards, the traditional safety programs, you know, the, the cute T-shirt with new art. But really, no one's kind of like, you know, knocked the socks off. And, you know, I've won a few image awards myself, but it's still pretty easy to knock people's socks off in this space. And I think yeah. that uh, a couple a couple people are going to get together and, and change the status quo. And I would love to see what they're doing. Yeah. Well, Sam, thank you so much. This was really fascinating to get your perspective on uh, the ins and outs of marketing and uh, the exciting world that it represents. So thank you so much for everything. This was really great. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of SKUcast. Be sure to keep up with our latest content by subscribing to SKUcast on iTunes or to our blog at community.commonskew.com. Until next time, friends. Thanks so much for listening. Mm-hmm.